So, Kathy and I started a new uh, adventure in life. Uh, Joseph, our youngest, is 18, so he's an adult. And uh, as an adult with uh, autism, he receives Social Security, so he now has his own money. (laughs) So, it was kind of funny this morning. Uh... Joe comes up and tells Kathy he he bought, what are them things called? Uh, some some video game things. They put on a stand and you can play them. You guys know what they are? What is it? That's it. Skylanders. He bought some Skylanders. So she goes down because she has a moment of panic. Because if he actually could get into her account, he could. Who knows how many Skylanders he could buy. But he could... Push by as many times as he wants. So she she went down to his uh, computer, and he had eleven Skylanders in the cart. Now <laughs> he didn't know what to do at that point. They were in the cart, and he was he was uh, you know pretty excited just about that much. And uh, so and he said to her, said, "Well, mom, I have money now. It's his money." And it's a new chapter for us because Joe never had money before. It was my money. I say, no, it's my money. So we sit down with Joe this morning and we talk to him, just kind of lay out a plan of, of, I don't know if there's such a thing, but more responsible spending and not to deny him. If he wants to get Skylanders, we'll get Skylanders, you know, and. And I remember thinking, as I'm, as I'm watching him, and, and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way he is ready for this concept. <laughs> to understand this concept, to, to grapple with budgeting and figuring out you know, that stuff. And he, I mean, he really don't have no worry. He, he can stay with us forever. So it's not like he's ever going to have to pay rent or do anything like that. And, and then I, I, I had this thought at that moment. I wonder how much that is the way God sees us. Yeah, you guys are not just ready for this thing. You're not ready for the, the responsibility and the, and the reality. And you can't see all the dangers and all the things that you should be, you know, a little more worried about or apprehensive about or whatever. And I think, I just wonder how much it's like that. You see, our relationship to God is so selfish. We come to God like Santa Claus. And if God gives us what we want, we're happy. And if God doesn't give us what, what we want, we're unhappy. We don't understand God's no's. And we don't understand sometimes God's yeses. And, and we struggle with with who God is and what God does and and I'm reminded you guys ever seen those uh, uh, shows or things where a guy who has a lot of money is trying to figure out if somebody really loves him for who he is or just loves him for his money Yeah, how much are we like the gold digger who only loves God because of the stuff we can get or the things He can give us. And I catch myself, you know, when I try to talk to somebody about the Lord, 
trying to sell him. Like, no, really, he's good. He's, it's killer. This God's amazing. And, and the more I try to sell him, the less able to sell him I am. And, uh, and I realized, you know what? That's not what God wants. God don't want you to love him for what he does. He doesn't want you to love him because he made your life good or he solved all your problems. He wants you to love him because he is the most deserving thing in the universe of your love. The most deserving reality, treasure, uh, you know, I don't know a better way to put it. He wants you to love him for him. Whether he ever solved your problem or not. Whether he ever healed you or not. Whether he ever gave you another beautiful sunrise or an incredible sunset. Just because of who he is. He wants to know you love him for him. And the psalmist, I think one of the ways that David really gets God is he gets that. And he expresses it in a lot of ways when we, when we look. And, and tonight we're briefly going to look at 26 and then we'll look at 27, 28 and I got 29. But I'm doubting we'll get there. But, you know, I've just been wrestling with that concept because here's what I believe. I believe people, the majority of people, their God is their belly. Vast, the majority of the church, the majority of people around the world, their God is their belly. They fool themselves into thinking, my God is something else. But the reality is, God's my belly. By belly, I mean desire. My desire. What I want is God. My desires become God. My desire. That I, I want this thing. And so I think the majority of people look at their thing, their desire. They put it in front of them. This, this thing I want. Whatever that is. A, a marriage, a family. Um, you know, you put it. Whatever your thing is. You put it there and then you say, this is what I want. And then we look around at religious systems or concepts. And we look at them and we say, well that religion or that concept or this thing I think is going to get me this desire. That's why when, when people get into those situations, when people get into to different religions, many of which I would call cults because I think truth matters, but most people don't care. Why don't they care that truth matters? Because they don't, they don't care about the truth where they care about. The desire. If I got my desire, then why do I care about truth? I didn't come for the truth. I came for what? The desire. So who's God? The desire is. What God challenges you and I with is to say, to have a relationship with me, then I become the desire. And that's why David had integrity, wholeness of heart, or oneness of heart. He had, he, he had that. God's my desire. It doesn't stop us from praying for God to solve our problems or to cure or to do all those things. But if He doesn't do any of that, it doesn't matter because our desire, that's Him. And that's what the Psalms indicate for us over and over and over again. Hopefully we'll be able to see it tonight. Because when we look at Psalm, Psalm, I don't think I, oh, you put 26 in. You guys are alright. Was 26 in there already? Man, you're good. 
So they didn't know I was going to do 26 briefly. So 26, 27, 28 are all God saying, I love the, the sanctuary. And the concept behind that for David is not, I love this building, or I love the temple, or I love the tabernacle, because none of those things existed for David. The tabernacle was not there in Jerusalem when he took over king. It's, a, it's quite a while, actually, before he even brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. There's no temple. He'd like to build a temple, but there's no temple. The tabernacle was in, in Shiloh, so it's, that's not Jerusalem. So when he says, I love your sanctuary, he's just talking about that place that he's with God. I love being with you. That's what that phrase means. And in 26, he says, I love being with you. And it's the whole point of, of 26. Just look at it briefly. The whole point of 26 is, I love being with you. And the view is the worshiper. The view of 26 is the worshiper. So David's saying, me. Let's consider me. So he says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. Wholeness of heart. Remember, integrity means he's united. He has one desire. He's going to tell us that in 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord. I have one desire in my heart. One focal anchor to which I cling. So he said, vindicate me. I've walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. And that concept there sounds like past tense. But what he's saying is that he is in continual trust of God. That's his integrity. The one thing he wants. His integrity. And then he starts in verse 2. So examine me. Look at me, God. Prove me. Well, you know that word, prove me? We, we go through it real quick. Prove me means test me. What's test me mean? Oh yeah, that's that thing. You ever heard people tell you don't pray for patience? Let me fix that for you. Man, you better pray for patience. The Bible says well, we have need of endurance. You know how you get endurance? Patience. You know how you get patience? Trouble. Don't you see what David is saying? He says, examine me, Lord. Prove me. Bring trouble. When's the last time you prayed for that? God, bring me trouble so I can grow, so I can be strengthened. Where do we grow? Don't we grow in the furnace of affliction? Don't we grow in the... Do we grow when things are great and and we're cruising? We may, but where do we see greater growth? The furnace of affliction, in the trial, in the test. And so, so David, he's, he's, he's bringing the concept of the worshiper in view, right? And he's saying of himself, Lord, examine me and test me. Bring, bring the, the test. Bring the trials into my life. Um, try my mind and my heart, right? Isn't that what he's asking? Bring the trials. My mind, you know, uh, it, 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 it's prone to wander. It's prone to leave the God I love. It's prone to want something else. It's prone to see something shiny and go, ooh, something shiny. What, what was I doing? <laughs> so he says, "Try, bring the trials. Try my mind. Try my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. Your loving kindness. Remember in, in the Hebrew, that's the word hesed. 
Hesed is is the equivalent to me of agapeo, self-sacrificing love. Your loving, loving kindness, your tender mercies, all the same uh, word in the Hebrew. So the idea of God's self-sacrificing love for him. He's saying, look, I, I know you love me, even in the trial. I know you love me. I know you love me no matter what's going on. I, I, I love that song we just sang. Because uh, when, when we come to the bridge and we, we sing the bridge, we're asking God to, to put our trust beyond the borders. You ever think about the words you're singing? God, I trust you here, but I want you to expand it. I want you to... Well, what are you asking Him to do? How does your faith grow? How is He going to expand it? How is He going to reach out beyond the borders that you have? See, you didn't even know you're praying just like David. You're saying, try me. Test me. Prove me. Stretch me. Sounds beautiful when we get lost in the song. Sometimes we forget the message of what we're asking the Lord to do. But no matter how that occurs in our life, He loves me. So whenever I come to a point, and uh, I think it's funny, Jason lately is, 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 is uh, he watches this, um, uh, like a, it's a to every man an answer for atheists. So people who, who don't believe in God or hate God, he's, he watches it so that he can then figure out how he would answer the questions that they bring up, you know, the things that they bring. And, uh, you know, so he, he is, uh, he is, he, he, he'll watch it and he'll look at it and he'll, he'll see it. When I come to something I don't understand, an answer I don't, I can't answer, I, I'm not afraid of that. Why are you afraid of that? I got a big enough problem with the ones I do understand. You know what ones I do understand? That God loves me. And I can prove that to you in Old Testament. It doesn't take the New Testament to do that. So when I'm faced with something I don't understand, like why doesn't God condemn slavery? I don't know. I know God loves me. And being a slave doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Does it? Being a slave might mean you have a hard life. And would God, who loves you, allow you to have a hard life? Yes. Why? Because you grow in the furnace of affliction. And all the while, as we walk through this existence, God is saying, do you love me just for me? You love me just for me. Because I love you no matter what. God loves you no matter what. You know that? That God loves you. Don't be shocked and think, oh, if God only knew I was a sinner. He has that all figured out. All figured out. And He loved you anyway. In fact, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world. So that covers a lot, right? So God's love doesn't change because life is hard or... Or you had it rough. Jesus told a story about a rich man who had everything he wanted and a guy named Lazarus who had nothing his entire life. He said Lazarus had nothing. In fact, he spent his life begging 
for crumbs outside the rich man's house. And every once in a while, the rich man, when he had ate his fill and he put out his trash, Lazarus could go through the trash and find a meal. And Jesus said, they both died. But Jesus only knew one man's name. Which man's name did he know? People say all the time, he's telling a parable. You know, I'll give you a little trial. Find me a parable where Jesus used a name. That one. Oh, can't use that one. Because it's not a parable. It's a story. Real people. He never told a parable with real people's names in it. Lazarus, whose life was horrible his whole life. Whole, whole existence. And maybe it was his choices. Maybe it was bad choices. Maybe it was a dysfunctional family. It really doesn't matter. His life was in a tank. And he spent eternity with God. Because his life in the tank made him a man who desired God. And the rich man's life, he had everything, made him a man who only desired more stuff. So my question is, which one, which life was more loving from God? Well, we see it all wrong. Most of us would say it's more loving if God gives us the stuff we need, right? We have money and we have food and we're healthy. But I would argue it's more loving from God that He don't give you nothing. It's more loving from God that He brings a tidal wave in the middle of your vacation. It's more loving for God. Because whatever is going to encourage you to be with Him, to desire him is for your best so David first begins in 26 consider me examine me try me test me the furnace of affliction causes us to grow he says in verse 4 I have not sat with idolatrous mortals nor will I go in with hypocrites he's, he's making a choice he's saying I'm not, I'm not hanging out with idolaters and I'm, I don't want to be a pretender I don't want to be a pretender. That means I don't want to pretend that God is my desire. Like some people do. I just want to be real. I really want God to be my desire. I have hated the assembly of the evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. And we need to do ourselves a favor. The hated assembly of the evildoers... And the seat of the wicked. That's us. That's not them. That's us. Oh, I, I would never do evil. Bunk. Do evil every day. I would never be wicked. That's baloney too. You're wicked all the time. We put all these unhelpful levels of wickedness. But you know, one of the top things that is wicked to God 
absolutely wicked is the it's the thing we excuse the most. We will excuse it nine times out of ten. Lying. And we'll point at all these other horrific sins, but we don't want to deal with that. We are evildoers and wicked men. And David says, I don't want to be that. I don't want to sit in that place. I want, I want all of him. I want all of him. Now, did that change David from being a liar? How about from being an adulterer? He's most famous for it, right? Did David's desire not to sit among the wicked or the evildoer stop him from being evil or doing wicked things? Oh, of course it didn't. The point that, that David's making is his desire. What do you desire? Because for some people, they desire sin so much that that's all they can think about. But for David, he desired God. He sinned, but it didn't change his desire. His desire was the Lord. What's he say in verse 6? I will wash my hands in innocence. I wash my hands. How many times you got to wash your hands in a day? Come on. You don't really think he's talking about one event. I wash my hands and now I'm innocent? I've seen people who look like they only wash their hands once a month. That can't be good. He says, I wash my hands in innocence. What's he, what's he saying? I want to be a part of, I want to be a party to the innocent. I, I, I don't want to flood my mind with a bunch of garbage. I don't want to flood my soul with a bunch of trash. I want to wash with innocence. But if we're honest... There's a whole lot more time we are washing with evil than with innocence. And now i got to run to the Word of God to wash the garbage off. <laughs> but David's he's trying to make a choice. Because my desire is you, and I want you to test my heart, and I want you to make me what I need to be. I want to wash my hands in innocence. Look, the strength to do it never was in David. It never... It never was part of him. The strength to do it is comes from the desire. If it's the Lord, He's the strength. God's commandments are His enablements. God gives us what we need to do it. So He says, I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all your wondrous works. For Lord, listen, I have loved the habitation of your house. Don't that sound nice? I have loved the habitation of your house. Let me put it to you like this. David said, Lord, I love being with you. I love being with you. You can be with God here. You can be with God in a parking lot, in your car. You can be with him all over. It's the habitation, not the building. The habitation is the relationship It's answering the cry of God's heart. What did God ask in the Old Testament? What's the one thing He asked? We have 613 commandments that we can't keep. (laughs) We mess them all up every every day. 613. There's a lot more than 10 commandments. 613 commandments. And that don't even begin to take into consideration the ones in the New Testament. So there's more there. 
What's the one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. So what is it that God is asking for from us? Love me for me. But I don't understand why this thing happened. Love me for me. And so David is saying in in 26, consider the worshiper. He's saying, I love being with you. I love being with you. So then in verse 9, he prays a prayer of redemption. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are sinister schemes, and whose right hand is full of bribes. I don't want to be who I am. You ever felt that way? Because I don't get any realer than that. I don't want to be who I am. Come on, don't make David some self-righteous hypocrite. God said he's a man after my own heart. So when he says, I don't want to be like them sinister, he's not talking about that guy out there. I don't want to be like the the guy taking bribes and the people doing wrong. I don't want to be like them. David said, I don't want to be who I am. How do I know? He says, as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Don't make that, David, saying, I'm walking in perfection. What I tell you integrity was, wholeness of heart, single desire, one heart. The Bible talks about having a single heart and a divided heart. A single heart is a heart focused on the Lord. A divided heart is a heart that's trying to be focused on the Lord, but is also focused in the world. And you can't serve two masters, right? You've got to serve one. And you're only going to serve one. So David says, as for me, I'm going to walk in my integrity. Wholeness of heart. What's the next phrase he says? Redeem me. Why does he say that? If he's saying, I am a righteous man. What's he need redemption for? The next thing he says, be merciful to me. Why is he asking God to be merciful to him? He's walking well. He's walking in his terror. He's doing a great job. Come on. You know the story of David. You're not going to tell me David didn't sin? That David didn't struggle? That David didn't have moments of, of absolute rage? And he didn't have moments of, of crazy desire for things he shouldn't have? So he says, I, I, his desire, I will walk with wholeness of heart. Don't you hear him saying to himself, he's like, I, I, I keep fighting this battle. I will walk with singleness of heart, with you as my desire. He's telling himself, this is what I want. I want wholeness of heart, so redeem me and be merciful to me. Does God answer that? Yep. How's he going to develop wholeness of heart in David? Trouble. The sword will never depart David's family. You say, oh, that's because of his sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, probably. Well, tell me how the sword wasn't in his life before. 
What happened when he was chosen by Samuel to be king? How did his brothers look at him? Ah, oh, silly little boy. What about his dad? His dad didn't even invite him to see the prophet. He left him out with the sheep. What about when he went and he killed Goliath? Surely then everybody wanted him to be their hero? Uh, no. Where did he go after Goliath? Back to being a shepherd? Well then, later on, King Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit and, and David is able to play the harp and calm it. So David goes and, and works for Saul. And surely then they loved him? The Bible says, how many times did Saul, the spirit of rage come upon him and he grabbed a spear and tried to pin David to the wall. So don't tell me the sword in David's life was because of Bathsheba. What made David a man after God's own heart was the trouble he went through in his life. And we got to stop being afraid of trouble in our life. The one thing that God looks at our life and says, you know what you need? Just like me looking at Joe with all his, his Skylanders. We got a pile of Skylanders around us. We got all these things that we think are so important and so incredible. And oh, I don't, how am I going to live without another Skylander? <laughs> and God's in heaven going, man, you don't need none of that stuff. Here's what you need. <laughs> a couple of days of being hungry. Here's what you need, a disease to overcome. Here's what you need to be hated and hunted all your life. Wow, that's, that, that's not the message of the gospel. I remember hearing, Jackie, that seems, you know, counterintuitive. It's way better to tell people that everything in life is going to be good, right? Come, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. That's just a lie. Sounds better, though. We've got to reach the point that we just want God for who He is. So listen to what David ends that psalm. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregation I will bless the Lord. When's the last time you heard a king say that? I'm just like you. I'm not above. I'm not below. I'm in an even place. Which of us can touch the stars? Any? I'm in an even place. I'm in an even place in the congregation with the people. I will bless the Lord. David's making a choice. It's a, it's, a, it's a choice of will. I will bless the Lord. Whether he answers a prayer or not, I will bless the Lord. Whether I can understand the, the, the tragedies in life, I will bless the Lord. David is making a, a willful choice to say, I am choosing to desire you. Because you're worthy of my desire. Whether or not you ever give me a thing. He goes on in 27. 
He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now he's talking about his love for being with God and how being with God keeps him in a safe place from his enemies. <laughs> but, but don't see the enemies as them people. Your greatest enemy ain't out there. Don't you know when the, when, when the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus and, and him, his disciples are walking down the road. You guys remember the story where they reach over and they take a little wheat. It's a Sabbath day. And they shuck a little wheat in their hand and, the, and they eat it. And, you know, people were always looking for a reason to bust the chops at the disciples, you know, because they're just normal people. So, so they weren't going about the holy things. They did two things wrong. They're, they're kind of shucking wheat, you know, which uh, was actually okay on the Sabbath, but, but they're going to give them grief for it. And the other thing, they didn't wash their hands. You just ate without washing your hands. My wife does that to me all the time. She is the cleanest, freakiest person on earth. Now, maybe if I had the class microbiology, I would start being more worried about it. But I'll, let me tell you how I look at it. Okay? If I am going to be that clean, I'm going to be sick all the time. <clears throat> no, no, no. When you go to a doc and he gives you a shot, what's he giving you? A shot of health? Uh, no. What's he giving you? Just a little bit of the disease. Isn't he? I just had the... Uh, me and Kathy are taking typhoid pills. Because we're going to Africa and we're going to try to be ready for typhoid. But it's horrible. It's not going to work. You know why it's not going to work? Because you've got to take them the same time every day or every other day at exactly the same time on an empty stomach. And when is it that you remember? After, right after I ate. Oh my God, I'm supposed to take a typhoid pill today. i got a full stomach. So either I wait and I don't take them when I'm supposed to, which makes it weaker, or I take it on a full stomach, which makes it weaker. So it's not going to work. But we're going to, we take it anyway. So, so what's in the typhoid pill? It's, it's all health stuff, right? You go to, they go to GNC and they put a little protein powder and a little orange juice and that's what they put in there? No, they put a little bit of typhoid in it. Right? We all know that. When the flu shot, what do they just give you? The flu. When people say, Jackie, you going to go get a flu shot? No. I am at church, daycare, and preschool. There's so much flu and snot on every doorknob. I got all that stuff in me. Every doorknob I touch. If you go, you're here too. You come here today. I promise you. You say, oh, I didn't see no snot. <laughs> okay. Whatever it takes to comfort yourself. They put a little bit of that gunk in you, right? <laughs> They put a little bit in that, of, that, of that gunk inside. Man, that's where it's at. So, in order to inoculate us from troubles, what are you going to get? We do it in every other part of our life. Why is it so shocking in this? Well, a God of love. Maybe you ought to broaden your horizon a little bit. God's a lot more than just love. He's good too. He's perfect. And he's just. And he's amazing. And he's beautiful. And he's my light. And my salvation. 
He's going to keep me safe from the enemy that's in me. So when they took that and didn't wash their hands, you remember what Jesus said? He said, look, what defiles the body does not come from outside. What defiles the body is already inside. Look, you can, and I would actually expect you to try to keep your kids safe from all evil. But you can't keep them from the evil that's in their heart. And I don't care how cute they look when they're one. The same evil in there. If a one-year-old having a fit was strong enough to do what they wanted to do while they're having the fit, you would be receiving a beating. Would you? The only thing that keeps you from receiving a beating is they're too little. But it's in there. It's in there. It's what's inside of us. Save me from my enemies. My enemies are inside of me more than they're outside of me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So David is just proclaiming the the beauty and the majesty of God. And he's saying, you're my light. Uh, You're my direction. That's Old Testament. Jesus just said it like this. Hey guys, follow me. The Lord's my light. He's my direction. He's the one. Why do I got to be afraid of anybody else? I only need to have a fear of the Lord and I'm good. If you have the fear of the Lord, you don't ever have to be afraid of nothing else. The fear of the Lord. The Lord's my strength. What's going to carry us through? God. Why should I be afraid? Listen to what he says in verse 2. It begins with a word. When? Oh, bummer. Do you see what's after that? When the wicked came against me. It doesn't say, if the wicked came against me, or on a slim chance that there might be some issues in my life. What did he say? When the wicked came against me. When they come, and how does he describe them? To eat up my flesh. He's not talking about cannibals. What's he saying? He's describing evil, the evil out there, the evil in here, like a ravenous animal looking for lunch. How did Peter describe the devil? Ravenous lion? Seeking whom he may devour? So he's saying that they're like these animals. They want to eat up my flesh. And then he says, my enemies and my foes, they fell. They couldn't stand. And then he says, even though, verse 3, even though an army may encamp against me, Even though the problems may be so big, you look at the problem, you say it's an army. An army encamped against me. That's a big problem. Right? Even if an army camped against me, my heart shall not fear. So why won't he be afraid? Go back to the first part. Because the Lord's my light. He's my direction. If I'm standing... Following God, and I find myself standing in front of an army. Why do I got to be afraid? God brought me here. Right? Remember Jonathan and his armor bearer? 
His dad's down there doing battle with the Philistines and Jonathan and his armor bearer are talking, you know, theology. And they're walking around and, and Jonathan goes, you know, I think God really doesn't need a whole army to save us. Couldn't he, don't you think God could just save us if there was just one person willing to go? And his armor bearer is going, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're having a philosophical discussion. Yeah, I, I think God will deliver us one and Jonathan was just waiting for him to say that. Well, good, there's two of us. Let's go. You think the armor bearer wanted to change the story? Uh, so he said, okay. So they go two against 10,000. And when they crawl over there and they say, well, let's just listen to what they, what they're talking about. And, and, uh, and we'll see, you know, if, if they, if they act like they, they might be afraid, we'll just go. And so they hear him talking about how afraid they are of the, of the, is the, the, the children of Israel. So what's Jonathan do? He says, let's go. And just him and the armor bearer go barreling into a camp of 10,000. And they all freak out. So David says, you know, though an army's encamped against me, what do I have to be afraid of? If God brought me here to bring me home, it's going to be a good day. If God brought me here to deliver me, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be okay. I don't have to be afraid. I'm following the Lord. He says in the next part, the war may rise up against me. Now that's even bigger than an army, right? The war, the war rise up against me. In this, I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Integrity, wholeness of heart. One thing have I desired. He doesn't say, the, the one thing I want is peace. The one thing I want is not to have to face an army. The one thing I want is not to go through struggles. The one thing I want is to be with you. Say, So nothing else matters. You ever been that in love? So in love you didn't care about nothing else? I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else. I just, I just want to be with them. That's how David felt about God. Not because God made him king. Man, God put him through the ringer, man, to be honest. Rugged life. But he's like, I just want God. One thing have I desired, and that's all I'm looking for. All I'm looking for is Him. I want to please Him. I want to love Him. I want to know Him. That is relationship. Anything else is religion. Relationship is, that's all I want. That's all I want. That's it. I don't want anything else but Him. Because in that place, when I'm in that standing, what rocks me? 
Nothing. What if you're standing in front of an army? God's with me. What if you're standing in a war? God's with me. And I never asked for peace or comfort or ease. I just want Him. And this is the road I'm on. This is where He brought me. This is where He's bringing me. This is the one thing that I want. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? All the days of my life. For what purpose? Oh, man. Come on. Ladies, you would love to hear that. You would love to hear that. I just want to behold your beauty. To, I, just want to, I just want to be where you are. I, I don't love you because you cooked a great meal or because you were a great mother or you took care of the, the kids in such a great way. I, I, I just want to... I could spend the rest of eternity just marveling just looking at you. Yeah, that'd be great, huh? <laughs> Kathy's not listening wherever she's at. But that's what, that's what David's saying to God. And that's what God is asking for from us. That. That's all I want. Anything else is icing. Does God heal? Sure. Does God deliver us from our enemies? Absolutely. Does God do all that other stuff? Sure. But that, I'm, not, I'm not seeking that. I just want Him. Forever. I just, want to, I just want to look at Him. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in His temple. That means to learn in His presence. To, to just, I just want to look at Him. And I want to... I want to learn about Him, and I just want to be in His presence. For in the time of trouble, He will hide me in His pavilion. What is the worst anyone can do to you? David says, man, in the time of trouble, I'm going to be with Him. How is it that, that Pastor Saeed is able to keep going? Come on, don't tell me he's sitting alone in that cell. Who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I guarantee he's there. Right beside him. He says, man, I I will hide myself in your pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. What's he talking about? He shall set me upon a rock. All throughout the Bible, the Bible uses the term the rock for for Jesus Christ. That picture of stability and strength that you know nothing's going to shake. It's stuck. It's like the rock of Gibraltar, right? It's not going anywhere. So so David is saying, in the midst of all this trouble, I I just feel God pick me up and put me on the rock. I don't have to worry. The rock's not going anywhere. The trouble was still there. But he could say like Paul, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my race with joy. Now Paul said that headed to chains. And ultimately beheading. He's like, I don't care. Behead, knock yourself out. 
I'm going to finish my race with joy. I can't wait to see Jesus. So I'm just going to do, I'm just going to take the next step God puts in front of me. Whatever it is, I don't care about that other stuff. I just want one thing. And so he says in verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Now. So he comes back to the present. And the, and the army's still there. The, the trouble is still there. But he said, ah, you know what? I'm not, I'm, he's lifted my head above them. I can see past that. I can see past the problem. I can see past the trouble. I can see past what's going on. So therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle and sing. I'll sing praises to the Lord. You know you praise whatever you value. You praise what you value. You value God. You praise Him. David's like, man... They're all still there. Look at all them guys. But I can see right over them, man. They're, they're just in the way. But man, it's, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to glorify God. And I'm going to love Him. My eyes are focused in Him. And then He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy on me and answer me. So He's picture of Him calling out to God. He's, he's there and He's praising the Lord. And He's taking Him. He says, Hear me, God. Hear me. And the Lord heard him. Look what he says. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So God is saying, he's saying, he's calling out and he's asking for mercy. And all the Lord says to him is, just seek my face. (laughs) And David said, my heart said to you. Your face I will see. That's like the innermost part of him. Your heart. What did Jesus say? Where's, where does the problem come from? Where does the, the ugliness, the pills we take? Where, where, it's not what we put in our mouth. It's what's already in there. So the Jesus said it, it's from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And the psalmist said, my heart said. He said, in my core, I know out here, I'm a screw up. But in here, all I want is you. All I want is you. You said, seek my face. I said, your face, Lord, I will seek. So do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You are the one thing. One thing I need. You are it. That's what I want. The God of my salvation. When, see that next phrase in, in, in verse 10? It doesn't say if. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Anybody ever let you down in life? Anybody who was supposed to love you? Ever let you down? Anybody who was supposed to be there for you? Anybody who was supposed to fulfill a a covenant or a promise to you ever let you down? Well, when they do, God never will. And His promise was never for a bed of roses. But His promise was, you follow me, 
And I will be with you every step. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Every step. Even if we're in a fiery furnace. Every step. I'll be with you. So the psalmist looking to the Lord says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. That phrase, uh, it, it doesn't carry the meaning in English when you translate it. A smooth path means um, teach me and lead me so I have constant progress toward you. We, we always want to be moving forward, right? So that's what he's saying. Lord, teach me and, and lead me so that I'm always moving forward toward you. Don't deliver me to the will of my, of my adversaries. Don't deliver me to their appetite. Remember earlier he said they're, they want to eat me? Urgh. So don't deliver me to them for false witnesses have risen against me. People lie about you or to you. Yep. And, and, and such as breathe out violence. There's a lot of people around the world like to wipe you all out. They get excited when we all come together because they can just use one grenade or one bomb. Get them all. But in verse 13, he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David says, Mass, it's hard sometimes to look at all the things that are wrong and not want to give up. But David said, I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's faith. See, sometimes it's just that. I I don't know. You call it whatever you want. God is worth my faith, even if I don't have the answer. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know why that happened or why he said this or why he did that, but I have faith in the goodness of God. And one day I'll see all his goodness on this ground. He's going to put his feet on this ground. He's going to rule this world perfect. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I believe it. I believe in His goodness. So, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Mm. Look, here's what He says at the end. My God is worth waiting for. Is yours? My God's worth waiting for. And if it don't happen now, He's worth waiting for. I'm going to wait on Him. One thing have I desired. I'm always, when I look at sections of Scripture like this, I'm always reminded of a, of a pretty incredible story. Father bringing his child to Jesus and saying, Can you heal him? And Jesus saying to the dad, You got faith? Well, I believe, Lord. You know the rest. Help my unbelief. 
It is a choice, an act of will. I will wait for the Lord. I will believe that I see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I have one desire. The act of will. And the rest, faith. That's all we need. Amen? Just stand with me and let's pray.